Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing okay today. All right, so listen, this morning we are going to actually pick up our um, current series where we left off a few weeks ago. So if you're taking notes, this is part four, and the title of the series, once again, is Foundation Building Blocks of the Faith. Now, through this series, our goal has really been this, is to take a deeper look at the six foundational teachings that the writer of Hebrews said that every Christian, that's you and me, that we should all be familiar with. Now, as we've stated several times already, these six teachings are often referred to as the doctrines of Christ, and uh, they're actually listed for us in Hebrews chapter 6. And so we're going to read it again. I know we've read the scripture uh, several times already, but we're going to look at it one more time. Verse 1, here we go. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, or let us move on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, the doctrines of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and lastly, of eternal judgments. Now, if you can remember to a few weeks back, we turned our attention towards the the third foundational teaching that's listed there, which is the doctrine of baptisms. Now, a few weeks ago, we focused solely on water baptism, but because of what you actually read there in the Word, we're going to expand on that thought today. And so, if I can just kind of draw our attention, notice that it says the doctrine of baptism. So, it's plural, which obviously means that within the New Covenant, uh, there must be more than, than one baptism that's available to you and I as believers. Now, when we read the New Testament, we actually discover that there are three distinct baptisms uh, that are found in this new covenant. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of break those down, and then we're going to head in a direction this morning. And so really quick, you three boys, come here real quick. Y'all can just spread out. That would be awesome. So listen, when we read, when we read through the New Testament, we find out uh, basically once again there's three baptisms. The first baptism we find is actually known as the believer's baptism. That's what Kite's going to represent, the believer's baptism. And, and basically we know that this baptism occurs at the moment of our salvation. Without us even knowing it, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit immerses us into the body of Christ. The moment we're saved, once again, that we instantly become one with Him. He is in us and we are in Him. How many of you guys know that's good news? All right, the second baptism we find uh, is water baptism, and that's what Andrew's going to represent. So after we have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we are commanded by the Lord Jesus himself to be water baptized. Now we know that this is an actual physical physical act of being immersed or being submerged into water by another believer. And it's through this act of obedience, this is where you and I publicly declare that we are choosing to identify ourselves with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And then there's a third baptism that we find in all four of the Gospels, uh, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Caden's going to represent. This is uh, the baptism that John the Baptist was referring to when he said this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. It says, I indeed baptize or immerse you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And then he says, he will, talking about Jesus, baptize or immerse you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
So obviously we can see through that scripture and through the other ones that are in Mark, Luke, and John that obviously this baptism happens when Jesus baptizes or immerses us into the Holy Spirit. All right, so with those three baptisms in mind, I want to quickly point out something. You know, unfortunately in the church today, there's a lot of confusion uh, that surrounds these three baptisms. And mainly it's because so many people, basically they, they think that the, the believer's baptism and the baptism in the Holy Spirit are the exact same thing. And I just want to give us a few observations so we can see that biblically that's not the case. Okay, so first of all, like I asked you three weeks ago, If the Holy Spirit is the one that baptizes us into the body of Christ, and Jesus is the one that baptizes us into the Holy Spirit, how can they be the same thing? So not only are the baptizers different, but guess what? According to the scripture, the substance that we're being baptized in is different as well. Meaning this, once again, here we are being baptized into the body of Christ And over here, we are being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if the baptizers are different and the substance is different, then that must mean that they're two different things. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right, so now I want to make two bold statements here. Listen, in the same moment that we knew when we got saved, like we, we knew that moment, right? We knew when we gave our life to Jesus. And in the same way that we knew when we were water baptized, we were dry, then we got wet. Like we knew it, right? Wouldn't it also make sense that we would know the moment that we were baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now, now let me even say this to you. If I think we can all agree that it's God's will for every person to be saved. And subsequently, guess what? It's also God's will that every person that gets saved would be bought or baptized. Then wouldn't it also make sense that it's the Father's will for all of us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit too? I believe the answer is emphatically yes. All right, so listen, why do I say this? Because I believe that when you and I read the New Testament, what I mean by New Testament is basically from Matthew to Revelation, that we actually find that these three baptisms make up a complete work that God desires to fulfill in every one of our lives. So let me give you two scriptures really quick. The first one, it's not going to be on the screen, but it comes out of 1 John chapter 5, 7 and 8. It says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. Somebody say heaven. The Father, the Word, we know that's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. So it's talking about the Trinity. Now look at verse 8. It says, and there are three that bear witness on earth. Somebody say earth. Earth. So see the difference, right? And then it says this. It says, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Why do they agree? Because those three, once again, the blood, we need the blood to be saved. Obviously, water to be baptized, the spirit, as far as spirit's baptism, they all agree because they all make up the complete work. All right, let me give you another verse. Acts 2.38, Peter talking on the day of Pentecost. It says, then Peter said to them, obviously he's preaching to a multitude of people. He said, repent. So he's talking about salvation. And he says, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's water baptism. And then he says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what's that? That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So through these verses, we can see that Peter's showing us actually three pieces that make the complete work that God desires once again to bring in all of our lives. Now, How did Peter know that that was complete work? The answer is pretty simple. It's because him and the other 119 people with him in the upper room just experienced 
this complete work moment. They already were obviously saved, water baptized, and then they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're with me, say, oh yeah. Yeah. All right, so listen, for context's sake, what I want to do is I want to to hit rewind, and I want to back up a little bit to show you what happened before this moment that Peter stood up and he was preaching to that multitude. So we, we know this when we hit rewind, that... After Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples had their salvation experience in John chapter 20, right? Obviously, they were baptized at some point. The Bible is kind of clear with that, but it doesn't tell us when. We just know it happened. And then it says this in Luke 24. It says, Jesus told his followers to not leave Jerusalem, to not start ministering, to not start preaching, to not start any churches. Like, you don't do anything. Like, yeah, you've been with me for three and a half years, but listen, you don't do another thing until you're clothed or endued with power from the Holy Spirit. So Luke repeats this in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. He says this, And being assembled together with them, talking about Jesus, he commanded them, there's actually 500 people that he's talking to. We know that according to Corinthians. He said, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Somebody say command. So once again, notice he didn't suggest, he didn't recommend, but he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to actually wait for the promise of the Father. Now, I think it's really interesting when you and I read the scripture, there's thousands of promises from God to you and I, but there's only one promise that's known as the promise. And that's what we're talking about today. So it goes on to say this, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which... He said, you have heard from me. When do we hear from him? John 14, John 15, John 16. Then it says, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized or immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Jesus went on to say in verse 8, he says, basically in that moment, you'll receive power. The word power is actually the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite from, which means an explosive power, which is a great ability for performing miracles. So you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So once again, gang, here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. He's like, boys, it's awesome that you've been saved. It's awesome that you've been water baptized. But if you ever think you're going to be successful in doing what I've called you to do, then you're going to need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So we know all this obviously came to a tipping point. Let's look at another scripture, Acts 2. I'm going to give you a lot of Bible today. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, talking about now, that 500 had actually dwindled down to 120 people. So 380 people somehow thought that there was something better to do and went and did something else. And they missed out on their moment. So it says this. It says, they were all with one accord, in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them, divided, distributed tongues of fire uh, as a fire. It says, and one sat upon each of them. Now, what was the proof of the evidence that this baptism occurred? It says, and they were all filled or all baptized or all immersed with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Once again, complete work so that they could accomplish what God wanted them to do. All right, so if we realize or not, this moment in Acts chapter 2, they were actually given the exact same power that Jesus received in Luke chapter 4. Now, how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us in Acts 10, 38, it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. The word power there, once again, is dunamis, exact same word. And then it says, Then Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, here's something I want us to notice. Everybody look here, please. Is 
if you actually look at Peter's life before this moment, we'll just use him as an example, you, you actually see the transformation that happens when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that this guy, even though he was saved and water baptized, he had this rare gift of putting this thing right here in his mouth. Right? And so he went from being that guy to being a guy that got baptized in the Holy Spirit and he stood up in front of thousands of people. Remember, a couple of days earlier, he denied Christ. Right? And boldness came on him and he proclaimed the gospel and 3,000 people got saved. And from that point on, we know that obviously a shadow healed the sick, guy at the gate of beautiful, right? Wrote two epistles. What I'm trying to say is that right here, a miraculous moment happened in Peter that transformed his life. Amen? All right, so with all that said, as I promised you a few weeks ago, we're going to talk about, if you haven't noticed yet, we're going to talk about the third baptism that's found in these baptisms. And so we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. Give these awesome three young men a hand as they go. I, I, like, I know what y'all are thinking. You're like, where did they find such three quality young men with so much talent? I'm telling you, it's, we prayed. We prayed, okay? All right, so when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let me say this. I recognize that in this room, just like in the second service and the first service, uh, there's people from all kinds of different church backgrounds and have different views when it comes to this subject. And, and I want you to know that's okay. Um, like I understand in this room, there are people that have potentially have never even heard the term baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I recognize that there's also people that have been taught for many years, like I was, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit passed away when the apostles died. And I also understand that there's people that maybe you've bumped into a person or two that was super weird, that believed in what we're talking about today, and I want you to know that they were weird before that. So, so, so don't, don't blame the Holy Spirit for their weirdness. That's truth. Anyway, so, so there's people that even think, okay, well, maybe this topic is demonic. I've heard that. Or maybe it's just heresy. And then I realize that there's people that have come to the church, been here for a while. Uh, they're just cautiously intrigued by this subject. And, and then there's people, obviously, in the mix, once again, all three services, that are 100% gung-ho when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, they're waving the banner, right? So, so listen, wherever you're currently at this morning, I'm going to ask you to do uh, me a favor that might be extremely hard, and that's this, is to maybe set aside any preconceived ideas that you have before this moment, because actually what I want to do is I want to go to the Bible, and let's let the Bible talk for itself. Like, God's, God's a big boy. He can talk for himself. And so I'm going to try my best to not give a whole lot of opinions. And I'm just going to go, okay, let's look at the Bible because that's what brings freedom. That's what brings revelation. And that's what brings faith. Amen? All right. So listen, if we, if we actually keep reading the book of Acts beyond chapter 2, I think we actually discover that there's this pattern found in the three baptisms that proves that what we read in Acts 2 wasn't a one-off or, and it wasn't some fluke occurrence that happened, but it actually happened repeatedly throughout the rest of the book, which means, once again, this pattern of, of salvation, water baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit is a normal Christian experience. All right, so listen, in the book of Acts, we find uh, four additional counts. We're going to look at them together. The first one is in Acts 8. This is actually five years 
after the day of Pentecost. We know that Philip was actually sent to Samaria to share the gospel. This guy began to preach, and revival broke out. And the Bible tells us that, guess what, that people began to be healed. Demons started being cast out of people, and a whole lot of folks got saved. And then in verses 12 and 13 there in Acts chapter 8, it tells us that when people got saved, they were water baptized. And then there came this point where they said, you know what, we recognize that there's more for these people. And so the early church leaders said, let's send some folks there to share with them. And so it says this in Acts 8 verse 14. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, that salvation, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Get that. They were saved, but clearly they still need to receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's talk about water baptism. So you see in the pattern of the three here. All right, so watch this story doesn't end there. It says in verse 17, it says, Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And it says, When Simon saw, that's a key word in this, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on them, it says he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. To which obviously we know Peter rebuked him, but we're not going to go into that. Okay, so but but here's what I want to see from that verse is I think when you read that, the question has to be is what does Simon see when these people from Samaria were baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because clearly something had to happen out of the ordinary for him to be willing to offer money for it. Right. So listen, as you'll see, as we continue to read through the other uh, three encounters that we're going to talk about, you'll see that there's this, uh, these outward manifestations that happen where people can see and hear, which is commonly referred to as basically speaking in tongues or prophecy, right? So I think most theologians would agree what Simon saw on that day was simply people speaking in tongues and prophesying that when they laid hands on them, that's what happened. He said, can you give me that too? If you're with me, say, oh yeah. All right, so let's fast forward Acts chapter 9. We know that this is the chapter where Saul, who turned Paul, right? He's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. But on his way, he had this life-changing encounter with Jesus, right? Jesus showed up, bright light. He fell to the ground. He went blind. He was converted because he said, Lord, what would you have for me to do? There was a surrendering in that moment on that road, right? And the Bible goes on to say that they basically picked him up off the ground. They led him to a house. He fasted and prayed for three days. And here's what happened while he was praying. It says this in verse 10. It says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. It says, The Lord spoke to him in a vision. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. What's he saying? He said, Look, he's praying. I've told him about you. Now I'm telling you about him. Then it says in verse 17, So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. How many of you guys know you don't call somebody a brother unless they're saved? Right? So it says, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was what? Water baptized. Once again, are you seeing the pattern? Now, a lot of people, they'll say this. They'll say, well, well, it doesn't say 
that Paul spoke in tongues when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to know it's true. It doesn't say that right there. But, but when we actually pause for a moment and we look at the Scripture from a broader sense, what we do find is Paul later saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, that he prays in tongues more than everybody. He wasn't bragging or nothing. So, so my question is, is, is when did that happen? Right? Like if it didn't happen that day, when did it happen? So obviously, you, you can just assume that when was he baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence speaking in tongues? It was when Ananias laid hands on him. All right, let's fast forward again to Acts chapter 10. It's our third one. Obviously, we're introduced in Scripture to a man named Cornelius. We know that he was a Roman officer, so he was a Gentile at this point. Uh, basically, no, no Gentiles had really heard the gospel up to this point. And so the Bible says that he was a man that was devout. He was God-fearing. He was someone who was gracious to the poor. And so he had a heart that really wanted to know God. And so God met him there, right? So it says in verses 3 through 6, that one day while this dude was praying, uh, that an angel actually came to him, and the angel said, Hey, look, uh, I know what you're looking for. You need to send some guys to Joppa to ask this man named Peter, who's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, and he'll come and he'll tell you what you're missing. And so fast forward, we know three days later, Peter arrives at the guy's house, and where he immediately begins to tell not only Cornelius, but he begins to tell everybody in his family the gospel, to which we know when we read it that, that they clearly believed, because it says this in verse 44. It says, Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Get that. They were listening. Obviously, they believed. The Holy Spirit fell in the room. And this says, The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out to the Gentiles too. Because up to this point, they thought anything about Jesus was just for them. This says in verse 46, says, For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being water baptized? That was a group of guys with him. He's looking around. They're speaking in tongues going, Hey, any of y'all disagree with us baptizing them? And it says, now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So, Kian, what is the word just as we did? What does that mean? He's, he's going all the way back to Acts chapter 2. That's what he's referring to. It says, so he gave orders for them to be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what Peter said a couple of days later in Acts 11. He was given a, another account of what happened. He said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning, Acts 2. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He made a connection of what happened for them, happened to them as well. Once again, are you seeing the pattern? Are you seeing the pattern? All right, so let's look at our last example. This, this is actually 25 years after the day of Pentecost. It says this in chapter 19. I know I'm giving you a lot of Bible, but that's why we do this, right? <laughs> it says, Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. He was on a missionary journey. It says, in finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I, every time I read this, I love this because I'm like, how odd would that be that the first question that Paul asked these people is, hey, do you speak in tongues? Like, try that next time you're out and about and you meet a new person. Like, try it, right? So anyways, I just think this, that clearly it shows how important this was to Paul, that that would be the first thing he would ask, right? It says, so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So that was an indicator that they had never heard the gospel. 
So it says that Paul asks into, what then were you baptized? So they said into John's baptism, talking about John the Baptist. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. It says when they heard this, when they heard the gospel, obviously that was their salvation moment. It goes on to say that they were baptized or water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then watch this, verse 6. It says, and when Paul laid hands on them, remember how it happened for him. Ananias laid hands on him. So when he laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Once again, I'm going to ask for the, for the fourth time, are you seeing the pattern? All right, so here's our takeaways, okay? Is that through these five passages of Scripture that we just read, right? Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 19... Like, I hope it's clear that all of us are indeed seeing a pattern of three baptisms found in the new covenant, right? That God desires, I believe, the scripture's clear that he wants every one of us to experience this. And and I hope that this removes any confusion. Remember when we had the three guys up a while ago? Any confusion that thinks that the believer's baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if, if you think it's the same thing, hopefully it removed that confusion and you see that it's actually two different works. They're two separate things, right? So the other thing I'm hoping that we see is through these five passages of Scripture that, that this thing that I realize that scares a lot of people, and it shouldn't scare us, but, but that speaking in tongues is indeed the initial evidence uh, of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's the physical evidence, right? And, and so um, obviously prophecy is in the mix too. We saw that as well. All right, so what I want to do here is, because I know I just threw a whole lot on y'all, is I want to actually take a, a simple approach and I want to answer a few common questions that come up with this subject. And I don't have time to answer everything today. So I'm going to give you some stuff at the end that will hopefully answer some of your questions that you may have. But here's the first one I want to ask. Is, is how can you and I be sure that the baptism of the Holy Spirit hasn't passed away? Like we've heard that, we've heard that, we've heard that, we've heard that. Like how do we know it hasn't passed away? Let me give you two scriptures. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. We read it earlier. But I want to read 39 because it speaks directly to you and I. It says, then Peter said to them, once again, this is on the day of Pentecost. He's actually quoting the book of Joel. So it's a prophecy out of the Old Testament. But he talks about, he says, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says, for the promise is to you and to your children. Well, that right there blows the thing out of the water that says it was just for the the, the 11 apostles and Paul. Okay, because their children got it. So more than just that got it, right? And watch this. It doesn't stop there. It says, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Well, my first question is this, is how far does afar off go? Well, according to Peter, he tells us how far far off goes. He says, as many as the Lord our God would call. So that means if you and I are born again, if we've accepted Jesus, then that means, guess what? That we qualify, right, for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? So it didn't stop. In fact, he's saying it's just going to keep on going, okay? So listen, to, in defense of the baptism, basically, where people say, okay, no, it passed away, right, with the apostles, a lot of times those people, they point to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to prove their point. So, but I want you to know when you read it, you actually find that the opposite is true. So to kind of give you a little context, if you're not familiar with the Bible, when you look at chapter 12, it talks about these things called the nine gifts of the Spirit, okay, 1 Corinthians. And then you got this love chapter 
And then he addresses a few things. And really what he's talking about is what's eternal and what's temporal. He's trying to tell them that. And then he goes into chapter 14, talking about Paul, and he gives uh, basically the order of how the gifts should flow in the church. Okay? And so it's kind of sandwiched right in the middle of all that context. Now, here's what they read to say that's passed away. Look at verse 8 with me if you can. It says, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. They're like, ah, see right there? And then they say, where there are tongues, they will cease. Yep, look right there. And then they say, where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. They skip over that. And then it says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Now, here's the part they really hang their hat on. It says, but when that which is perfect, somebody say perfect. That which is perfect has come, then that which is in part, or that which is in temporary, will be done away with. So once again, to the people that hold this position, to them they say that the word perfect there uh, is referring to what we call the Bible. Okay, That as soon as the written word hit our hands, then not only did the apostolic age end, but so did also all the gifts of the Spirit that's correlated here in these passages of Scripture that Paul was talking about, once again, Corinthians 12 and 14. Now, I'll admit that that seems logical, uh, but here's where that train of thought really gets derailed. Okay, notice that Paul said that when perfect comes, that not only will prophecy end and tongues will end, but he said so will knowledge. Please lean in here. So listen, do we honestly think, guys, that knowledge has passed away? Like if there's ever been a time where knowledge is increasing, it's in the day and age we're living in. Like they're saying knowledge is like doubling like every five years. So obviously knowledge hasn't passed away. And so I just think this, if we're going to apply some biblical rule to tongues, and if we're going to apply it to prophecy, then you have to apply it to knowledge as well. And it doesn't, it doesn't hold up, right? So Paul goes on to say this, and this shows you also why that train of thought is derailed. It says in verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, that's when perfect comes, face to face. Now I know in part, but then when perfect comes, I shall know just as I also am known. So let me just ask, is anybody in the room currently seeing God face to face every day? Is anybody in this room, do you know God just as much as he knows you? No takers? No. See, here's the deal. The word perfect here isn't referring to the Bible. Rather, what it's talking about in context of everything around it is the completion of God's purpose here on the earth that will take place until that basically the ends. Let me say it that way. The completion of God's purpose on the earth that ends when Jesus, the one who is perfect, comes back for his bride. Right, So it's at that point that, guess what, that you and I will be in heaven and we will no longer at that point have need for prophecy. We'll no longer have a need for a prayer language. Right? We'll no longer have a need for knowledge because we're going to be standing face to face and we're going to know Him just as we're known. All those questions that you and I have are going to be answered in that moment. Right? So but what it means is, is up until that point, guess what we need? Prophecy. We need edification and encouragement. We need direction, right? We need tongues, right? We, we need prayer language. We need all that, right? And so obviously we need knowledge so we can understand God more and we can understand His ways more. If you're with me, say, oh yeah. All right, so listen, I'm a pretty common sense fella. And so when I look at this, I go, okay. And I'm, I'm hearing what all these people say. And I'm just like, okay, if Paul knew that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was going to end shortly, 
if he realized that it was for him and 11 buddies, right? Then, then he knew that when we die, this thing ceases. Then why in the world would he go to such great lengths to bring clarity about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians? Like, why would he talk about it so much? Listen, why, why would he even tell you and I to earnestly desire spiritual gifts? He actually says this, Brethren, I do not wish for you to be ignorant. What is the root word of ignorant? It's ignore. So he's saying, Brother, I do not wish you to ignore the spiritual gifts, but that you would earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Why would he tell us that if we couldn't have them? Is he dangling the carrot in front of our face going, Look what I got and you can't have? All right, now let me even take this a step further. Watch this. So once again, in context, it's 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, and 14. They all go together, okay? So, so listen, if we're going to go, mm, let's take out that thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts, and let's throw away that. Well, what do we do about communion? What do we do about church unity? What do we do about walking in love and church order? Like, shouldn't we throw all that out too? Am I making sense? So, so at the end of the day, it's like, I don't know who, but somebody in the church deemed themselves uh, with enough, enough authority and enough power to say what the body of Christ needs to reject and needs to keep in that passage of Scripture. And I think, what audacity. <laughs> At the end of the day, man, listen, if, if we're going to accept for those things, we might as well accept that too. Am I making any sense? All right, question number two. It's a quick one. Who can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If you're breathing, and if you're saved, you qualify. Good news, right? And uh, notice it doesn't say you got to be 40, 50, or 60 years old. It doesn't say you have to be 20 years old in the Lord. Bottom line, look, if you read those, read those passages we read earlier, man, those got saved. Hey, you need this? I think you do. Let's get you squared away, right? All right, question number three. This is, this is one that I realize that a lot of people get nervous about, and so it's okay. Okay, we're going to smile at each other, and we're going to talk about it. Question number three, do I have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do I have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? It's a great question, and it's, it's a question I've had a lot of conversation with, uh, with people about over the years, and I personally have come to this conclusion uh, after a lot of conversations, legit, for over 20 years. It's simply this, is that God is sovereign. He can do whatever He wants. If He wants to do it, He can do it. Okay. However, when I read the Bible, it seems like there's a clear connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues that I cannot deny. Okay, And so, so once again, I will leave that up to you and the Lord. That's where I stand on it. Okay? Because I believe that there has to be this thing called an evidence, right? Like I heard a preacher one time, and I'm telling y'all, I was listening to this, and, uh, and he said, okay, guys, we're going to pray. And this guy's got a very large congregation. And, and he led the church in a prayer, and he hollered, man, all of you just got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I listened to the next part of this series, and he said, last week we had, I don't know, it was like 8,000 people baptized in the Holy Spirit, and everybody clapped. And I'm going, where's the evidence? Because, listen, when I got saved, man, my life was dramatically changed. There was an evidence that Jesus came to live inside of me, right? And I'm amazed that guys like I just mentioned can say, 
we got baptized in the Holy Spirit, but there's no difference between who they were before the prayer and after the prayer. I'm like, bro, you're, you're missing it. Am I making sense to you? Once again, that we need to know when, what happened, okay? So I just think this, man, if God's going to do something powerfully in our life, then we're going to be aware of it. And I'll explain my journey there in a minute. But, but let me give you a, a verse here because a, a lot of people point to this. Let me show you this verse. Because people in the church, they go, they, they go well, look, the Bible says, uh, does everyone speak in tongues? And obviously the answer there is no. So that must mean that not everybody can or will. Okay, let me read this to you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. Watch this. Verse 28. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, and then gifts of healing. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts. It says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So obviously the answer to all those questions is, is no, not everybody's apostle, not everybody's a teacher, no, not everybody speaks in tongues. But, and so what happens is people read that and they put a public use of the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit into a private experience. Like if you notice, nobody's an apostle in their bedroom. Nobody's a prophet in their bedroom. What I mean is you, you got to have people to teach, right? There, there needs to be someone there for a miracle to happen or for healing to happen. Am I, am I making sense to you all? So, so what he's trying to say is, once again, if you notice, he says, do all speak in tongues. And he says, do all interpret. What he's talking about is this. is If you actually go to Corinthians chapter 12, it says the diversities of tongues. I don't have time to get into it. You can go listen to our podcast. But there's actually four biblical purposes of tongues that we find in the scriptures. And what he's doing, he's correlating the gift of interpretation with the gifts of tongue that go together. That's what he's connecting there. It's the public use of it. Am I making sense? So do me a favor. Don't read that verse and disqualify yourself. Read it in context and understand it's talking about something beyond just your prayer language. Amen, preacher. Okay. Question number four. Here we go. What's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me just read this to you. I gave you scripture so you could make sure it's backed up with the word. It's not me making these things up. Power to be his witness. Greater measures of purity. Worship and giving thanks. Rest and refreshing edifying ourselves, building ourselves up in the faith, keeping ourselves in the love of God, pray God's perfect will. Have you ever been in a spot where you're like, man, I don't know what to pray? Uh, there you go, right? Interceding for others. Have you ever been in a spot where you're like, man, God drops something in your heart? You're like, how am I supposed to pray for him? It's through the Spirit, okay? And then lastly, it's the gifts of the Spirit. What I have personally found is the gifts of the Spirit that open up the doors to all the nine gifts of the Spirit, Okay? All right, so let me give you this. I told you guys I wasn't going to share a lot of stories, but I will share a piece of mine today. So as some of you guys know, I gave my life to Jesus, grew up an absolute hellion, got saved at 17 years old. And for the first year of my salvation, I went to a church that taught that everything that we've been talking about today passed away with the apostles. And they gave their reasons why. And uh, the only problem was is, is I heard them, but when I went to go read the Bible personally, I couldn't find anything that agreed with them. 
Okay, like I, I like they said it passed, but I, but I wasn't seeing anywhere where God said I no longer do that. Like I couldn't find it, right? And so I didn't argue with anybody. I was just kind of going with the flow. I didn't, you know, I didn't have some systematic theology degree. But uh, you know, about a year later, I had a buddy that I saw get radically changed by Jesus. He said, "Hey, man, I'm going to this church where my brother goes. Do you want to come with me?" And so we drove an hour away, and we went to the church, and I stood there on a Wednesday night in a youth room, and I stood like I normally did in worship in the church I was going to. <laughs> Some of y'all know what that's like. All right. So, so I stood there like a knot on the log, <laughs> and, and I looked around, and I saw these people lifting their hands and singing, and I was like, what is going on? But I thought this, you know, I want y'all to hear this. I was like, I cannot deny he's here. Like I knew with all of my being that God was in the room, right? And, uh, and so I, I just say this, that was the first time in my church experience. I got drugged to church occasionally as a kid, but it was the first time I ever went, man, the life of God is in the building, that I actually saw people that weren't religious, but they were hungry for the things of God. And I sat there that night, and I was like, you know what? I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Uh, but you know what? These people got something that I don't, I don't know what it is. Right? And so I, I ended up moving to that area and started going to that church. I graduated high school, moved to that area, and actually joined a ministry that was there. And uh, for six months... I had one single prayer when it came to all this because I had some, some stuff that kind of freaked me out, right? And uh, just people being weird. And, and I don't know if I said this in this service or the last service. I can't remember. Did I say it in this one? They were weird before? I said that, didn't I? Yeah. Listen, when you preach three times, sometimes you forget, okay? Anyway, so, so there were some people that, that, you know, was really weird to me. But I just had this prayer. I was like, okay, I can't deny kind of what I've heard people say when they've come here. It's very similar that they said, man, the life of God's in here. I feel the presence of God here. Like, you know, we had somebody sit in that section, I don't know, it was like two months ago, and I remember basically that uh, they just cried the entire service. And they were just, I mean, just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And they just said, what is this? It's the presence of God, right? And, and so, so even in this sense, it's like, why do people come here and go, man, what's different? I'm trying to tell you today the difference, like, we don't make a huge deal out of this, but I'm telling you, this is what makes a difference because we're open to the Holy Spirit. For us, it's not Father, Son, and Holy Book. It's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Okay? So anyway, so I, I literally, for six months in that church, I had one single prayer. God, if this is not you, I don't want it. If it's you, please give it to me. Because I'm like some of y'all, I didn't want to be led astray. I didn't want to get boogered up. I didn't want to get weird, right? But if it was God, I was like, yeah, I want that, right? And so anyway, so what happened? Fast forward, Wednesday night, I finally, man, God was moving in the youth service. And I was uh, 18 years old, and I went over to the youth pastor. And I grabbed him and said, Benny, I need you to pray for me. Because why? Because I saw in here they laid hands. I need you to pray for me. Man, I want this. I'm tired of wrestling and struggling like I want God, right? And he laid hands on me, and the only thing I know the Bible says, out of your belly shall flow living waters. And this language came up out of me, and I started praying in tongues. And what was so amazing about the night wasn't, I remember everybody making a big deal out of it, and I was just trying to like be all, like didn't want to be noticed, right? 
But, but, but what I couldn't deny is this, is, okay, I spoke in another language, cool. But I'm telling y'all, it was like I saw black and white. And then when I walked out of that room, I saw the world in color. I can't, I can't describe it to you other than the fact that I knew the next time I opened that Bible, the next time I prayed, the next time I worshiped, the next time I prayed for somebody, man, all of that was different. Like literally, I used to, we used to do loads of street evangelism. We got there and we'd argue with people. And after that day, you know what happened? I just started talking, conviction started coming, and people started getting saved left and right. I preached, the anointing would come, right? God's presence would come. Uh, anyway, anyway, just incredible things happened, right? And so all I'm saying is, is literally that every single area of my life, man, when it came to me and Jesus, changed after that night. Can't explain it just as much as I can't explain how a man dying on the cross forgave my sins. As much as I can't understand how we're going to go to heaven one day, I don't understand. I just know what I experienced. And I'm pretty firm in this, that a man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. So I've refused to sit back and let somebody tell me what I've experienced is not God when I know that I know that I know the life change has happened to me. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so with that said, let me say this, because it's important that y'all hear this. Um, because I've had people in the past say that I've that I'm said something different than what I'm saying right now, and it's not true, so I'm going to make it really clear. If you're with me, say, yeah. Okay. So listen, uh, even, even this guy right here, he asked me, I don't know, like two, three days ago. He said, Dad, do you have to speak in tongues to go to heaven? Great question. The answer is no. The Bible says in John 3, 3, 3 unless a man's born again, he will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says in Romans 10, 9 to 10, that we, what, confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, then we're saved. It says in Romans 10, 13, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, so you do not have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. You just got to be right with Jesus. His blood does that, right? Make sense? All right, so I've also had people say, well, if I don't, if I don't, if, uh, if I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit, does that mean I don't have the Holy Spirit? That's not what the Bible teaches. First of all, you can't get saved unless the Holy Spirit was active in your life. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts the sin, judgment, and righteousness, right? And, the, and it says this, that the Holy Spirit seals you for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, right? Who is the, the, the parakletos, he's the advocate. He's the one that guides, he's the one that leads, he's the one that teaches. So he's very active in your life if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or not. Okay, now watch this. If you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, does that mean that somehow God gives you a gold star in heaven? No. It doesn't make you any more special. It doesn't make you any more love. doesn't make you any more spiritual. It, it, it doesn't mean any of that. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. But here is the difference. Okay, I can be saved, once again, water baptized. But just as Jesus taught, there's an endowment with power that is available in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's the only way it comes. Okay, because actually what this means when you look at the Greek language, it actually means to be overwhelmed, and it means to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a word picture to help you understand. Has anybody ever seen a cucumber? Okay, there's this amazing, cucumbers are disgusting, by the way. I hate them, they taste like dirt. Okay, so they do. Watch this. But something amazing happens when they put that thing in vinegar and they, and they do this word called pickle it. I like me a dill pickle, all right? So I even like drinking that juice. Word. So watch this. So, so, so that's what it means by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit actually pickles you 
with God. That's why there's a transformation happening in Peter's life, why I'm telling you it happened in my life. That's why there's such a dramatic change that happens because he comes and he's just not on you or with you. He is in you and he's saturating you. The other word picture that it gives in the Greek language is if you take a, a, basically a cloth, say we have a white cloth, and we dip it in some dye and we pull it out and now that cloth is basically the color that we dipped it in. That's what happens. We get dipped in God and we come out looking like God. Now, here's what I do know. Y'all hear me, please, because it's important. Is, is I've never had somebody say, uh, hey, we have a cucumber, whatever, it's pickle. Hey, we took this pickle and we made it back into a cucumber. <laughs> like, you can't unpickle something. <laughs> like, I ain't figured that out, right? And so I'm just saying, man, like, when you get it, man, you get it. There's so many people that I know that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit with a life-changing counter, and then they go put it up on a shelf and act like, you know, I don't need to use that. It's still there. So use it. He gave it to you for a reason. Amen? All right, last question. Thanks for hanging with me today. How can we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Does this no good to talk about if we don't know how to get it? The Bible says this in Luke chapter 11. Let me read it to you. Y'all know where he talks about, hey, look, if somebody asks for a uh, fish, surely he ain't going to get a snake. If he asks for an egg, surely he's not going to get a scorpion. If he asks for bread, he's not going to get a rock, right? Y'all know that. Jesus closes that passage out by saying this. He says, if you then, being evil, talking about how basically being earthly dads, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father? So that shows that you got to be right with God. Like you got to be born again. It can't be your father unless you're right with him. Your heavenly father says this. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Notice it even, everybody please look at this. Notice He's already your Father, but there's still a second work there. Am I making sense? So listen, the same way that you and I have faith when we got born again, that Jesus' blood will forgive us, that his resurrection, make sure we're resurrected too. Same faith, same faith that we believe the thousands of other promises in here, the same faith that's required to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to overcomplicate it. We don't have to get in our heads and make it difficult. It's a free gift that he wants to give us. Amen? So once again, it's just, are you hungry? Do you have faith? And you can receive. All right. So let me close with this thought. Obviously, the purpose of the message today was not to uh, bring disunity in the room. On the contrary, I'm wanting to bring unity, okay? And I'm wanting to give all of us scriptural proof that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is indeed for today, that it hasn't passed away, and that's something that God intends for every believer to experience. In fact, I believe that the word is clear that this should be the normal Christian experience for every person. You get saved, you get water baptized, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. The order of these two do not matter, what matters is just, do they happen? So let me give you really quick, because I, I wish I had about three hours today. I bet you're glad I don't. <laughs> but let me give you some extra resources in case you're here. You're like, okay, I'm kind of interested, but I need to know a little more. I'm totally cool with that. I believe we study show ourselves approved. So extra resources. Go read John 14, 15, 16. That's where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit is the promise. Read the book of Acts. That's supposed to be in there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through 14. I did a sermon series in 2017, four weeks of this. 
And, uh, and I tried to summarize that, but there's stuff that I wanted to get into. I didn't have time. Uh, Tommy was gracious enough to put that, like repost it, put it back on top so it's easy to find. Because once again, it's been buried in years and years of messages. But if you have questions, I tell a lot of stories. And I go into that diversity of tongues, the four different kinds uh, in that. So anyways, check that out. He also reposted Pastor Dusty's message. And there's some books that you can read that I definitely trust Solid, solid, solid biblical books. The last one is actually Randy Clark. If you don't know anything about him, he was a Baptist pastor that got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and God started to use him crazily in the gifts of the Spirit. But Randy took a different approach than the other three guys. What he did is he started basically at the book of Acts, and he walks you through church history and shows you people like Finney, Moody, Wesley, like all these guys that were baptized in the Holy Spirit that other churches today were actually built off their ministries but denied the gifts. He actually goes and shows you in their own words where they were baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. So things that people try to brush under the rug. You can stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a simple prayer today. I'm not going to press the issue because I want to be respectful to everybody in the room. Um, so I'm just going to pray a prayer. And I believe that you don't have to be in church to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I got loads of friends that have been baptized in their car. They've been baptized in their living room, their bedroom. Um, I even know people that have woke themselves up in the middle of the night because they heard themselves praying in tongues. And that's what it happened when they were asleep because their brains wouldn't stop. And our spirit never sleeps, right? So anyways, I, I've seen it happen in a lot of different ways. So I'm not going to try to put some boundaries on this thing. So I'm just going to simply pray for you and we'll dismiss. So Father, thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I'm just believing what it says there in Mark, that it says that signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. So Lord, we believe that you said in your word that under the new covenant, that we will speak in new tongues. You said it clearly in Mark 16. And so, Lord, I'm asking God for not only just myself in this room, but, Lord, I'm coming in agreement with every person in here that says, uh, God, would you please give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Lord, we simply today as your children ask in faith that you would give us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God, however you want to do it, you can do it. But Lord, put a desire in our hearts, God, to eagerly pursue and to eagerly uh, have faith and a hunger, God, to encounter the complete and the fullness of what you have for us. And so Jesus, wherever anybody is at today, Father, I ask that you would meet them there and that you would walk them down this road as only you can. You're a really good God. You're really patient with us and you really love us and you want what's best for us. So thank you for helping to send this in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at the anchor. Have a great week and God bless.